What's happening, podcast listeners? You guessed it. We're back again with myself, Matt Baxter, the host of the Matt Baxter Show. I know, super original. I, I get I get you know a little bit of crap for that pretty often. Um, most importantly, I'm hanging out with the co-founder of Greenhouse ATS Applicant Tracking System. HR tech guru, John, St- John Strauss. John Strauss uh, is just an awesome, awesome man to spend some time and chat with. I loved getting the chance just to learn his story, his background, uh, both in tech and what he's done. Not to mention he's a Michigan man. Uh, he's a Michigan uh, Wolverine sports fan as well, too, which is awesome because there's not that many of us in the HR tech world. Um, so this just all around was a fantastic podcast episode for me. Um, just I got a chance to learn from somebody who is magnitudes of steps ahead of where I want to go uh, in my career. So it's fun to ask him and probe him on questions, both as a startup founder and as a, you know, somebody who is in HR tech specifically as well too. So huge fan of John Strauss, huge fan of Greenhouse as an organization, excited to be partnered with them as well too. And uh, we're going to be heading to New York uh, during their conference uh, season as well too. So John, thank you for the man that you are. And thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the Matt Baxter Show. John, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me. So I know we're already starting off strong. We have a couple mutual things. We both work in HR tech companies, which is awesome. You're, you you went to U of M, so I don't have to you know be mad at you for being an OSU fan or an MSU fan <laughs> or any of that. So I feel like we're starting strong here. Absolutely, go blue. <laughs> so give me give me the life background. You know wherever you want to start from. I'd love to hear the story and just uh, we'll go from there. Uh, I was born at a young age. In Ann Arbor, Michigan. I love it. Yeah. No, I grew up in Ann Arbor, um, many generations of the University of Michigan. Uh, I got a degree in political science uh, and graduated, had no idea what I wanted to do. I ended up in Portland, Oregon for a year working at a bookstore and then realized that was not my calling. Um, And the internet was happening. And so I moved to San Francisco with the idea of doing the internet. Um, That was about as specific as the plan was. And I kind of fell into a a startup and learned stuff and went out of business because it was miserable. Um, and I landed at a company called Baby Center. It was a, uh, it was going to be a website for new and expectant parents, and it was about ten people. It was pre-launch, and they just had a couple of editors working on writing content about pregnancy and a couple of engineers building a content management system. And they said, "Sit in the middle and keep yourself busy doing things." And so I just kind of ran around and did stuff. And eventually, they said, "Hey, you're a product manager," um, and that's how I kind of fell into product management. And that company really did amazing. It went from like 10 people when I joined to hundreds and then got acquired and by a company, eToys, who went public and then went through the dot-com boom and then the dot-com bust. Um, and at some point in there, I jumped off and uh, traveled and did another, did more startups. Uh, and then I did one called Merced Systems. It was actually the original team from Baby Center started it. And it was call center performance management. Couldn't have been more different. Um, but it, it was enterprise software. It was super interesting. We learned a ton. And that company also went on and did it super well. Um, I actually burned out during that period, which is a whole interesting story. Um, and I went back to Baby Center. It had been acquired by Johnson & Johnson after the whole dot-com bust. And they decided, let's go international. And so I was t- um, tasked with being the GM of international, which meant I had to launch a website for pregnant women in like 20 countries around the world. And so to figure out... Uh, 
you know, how do you build a media business in all those different countries? And that, to, and I would say it's a, the best way to see the world is to like travel all these places and go to a maternity ward and go into people's homes and ask them what it's like to be a parent in their country is a, like the best job you could imagine. Um, so I learned a ton. I had a great time. We were really successful. We built these wonderful websites that to this day are helping tens of millions of people around the world every month. Um, eventually, I was ready to jump off and said, oh, I want to go back to my startup roots. And so I was talking to uh, a college friend who was also an entrepreneur, Dan Chait. Um, and we realized we were both ready to jump off of our companies and we wanted to start something new. And so we brainstormed for many, many months and eventually hit on this idea that turned into Greenhouse. Um, and that was back in 2011. And so here we are almost 10 years later and um, Greenhouse has turned into a whole a whole company of its own. So the there's Make a lot to, no, oh, I love it. <laughs> oh gosh, we got so much. I mean, you, you know, I said like budget, you know, 30, 30 minutes to an hour. I think we're rolling at like four or five hours now, but this is <laughs> that. so let's, let's start back with the important question. If you were to go back to Ann Arbor, Michigan, you were going to go visit one or two sort of uh, underground spots for you. Where, where are you going to hang out? In Ann Arbor, Michigan. In Ann Arbor. Oh, God. Well, because we talked about this. You know, grew, anymore. You, know, you know, I grew up in Saline. Yes. Yeah. So I've got, you know, we, we've got, a, we probably got a couple over, overlapping spots. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. Uh, were you, I mean, were you like there? My parents are still there. So last time I was there, I'm like, nothing, nothing looks the same anymore. Like, <laughs> were you all Zinger- South U is done. You know, it's were like, you a Zingerman's fan back in the day? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Zingerman's obviously like phenomenal. Obviously they've just been crushing it. So it's a little corporate now, but it's still so good. Still good. I mean, that's still a, a, a standard stop every time I go home. I love that. So when you, when you sort of uh, jumped into the, the, the product management, you know, project management type role, was this just sort of happenstance or was this something like, it sounds like you kind of got planted right in it and then that's what it was defined as. Did you ever vision that that was kind of the direction you were going to go with your skill set? No, no, I, it was accident. I, um, I didn't know that that was a job. I'd never heard of it. It was actually, you know, we're talking at like 1996. <laughs> it was sort of a less mature profession than it is now. And so sure. there's even more variability of like, what is product management? Um, the story of what, like the actual secret of what happened is that I lucked into um, the two most like, amazing mentors you could have. These guys, Mac Lickman and Mark Selko, who had started Baby Center and also started Merced. Um, Matt had been a product manager on Intuit at like Quicken 95, which is like this like, great product that was built long ago. And so he kind of grew up in product management. And so he kind of saw me and said, ah, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And so he kind of guided me into that career without me realizing it. And many years later, I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, thank you. That was so great what you did for me. Um, but no, it was very much accidental. I did not realize what was happening. So have you heard about the whole philosophy behind like beer time and coffee time? No, hit me. Yeah, so I'll send you an article later about this. It's kind of interesting, but like it, it's you can kind of imply like beer time is like when you're creative, you're taking a step back, you're kind of visualizing the world is more of like a this is what we could go create where coffee time is more like this is what I got to go get done. So the article and the, the philosophy is kind of emphasizing how like the Western world and specifically the U.S. is really focused on coffee time, like get stuff done, get stuff done, get stuff done and spend little time kind of strategizing. Huh. So I tee up those two for you when you are in like go, go, go. These are all the things we have to get done. Read as coffee time. Would you say your mind defaults towards product managing, you know, the product side of things? And then same question for when you're in your creative mode, what do you, where, where does it default towards strategy product? Does it 
fall towards finances. Where does sort of when you're stressed and also when you're creative, where, where does your mind go? Uh, for me, I'm still a product person at heart. So like when, so like when I have a moment or I have like my creative time, it's always going to be brainstorming product stuff. That's always like my most fun thing. Yeah. That said, like, I always think I'm a very convergent thinker instead of a divergent thinker. Like I tend to like take big complicated things and then turn them into, um, like discrete tasks that somebody can get done. So like that, that notion of like product management where it's like, how do you take this big amorphous plan that's hard to understand and like synthesize all those different inputs together, make a clear plan, tell everybody exactly what to do. And so if each person does their little part, it all comes together and works. I always feel like that's sort of my superpower. And so I still by default just do that in like all phases of life. Um, <laughs> not just work. No, um, but that's, that's kind of what I, you know, what I still do is like find a way to get things done. Um, but when I step back to your, to the beer time perspective, it's just brainstorming product stuff. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. So before we get into, you know, kind of diving in on, on greenhouse and all that. So no coming from both start. So pre greenhouse coming from both the startup world and also, you know, working in obviously big companies that went from startups to becoming bigger companies. What would you have said before greenhouse you you would probably prefer to spend your time in kind of the, the large company, huge resources, big, you know, big opportunity or sort of the fast paced startups that have, you know, fragility to it and all that. Startups. No question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think my sweet spot uh, is definitely much earlier and I find that a lot of fun. Um, that said, like working at J and J for those years where you got to see like the power of a big company and both like in market power, like they're really big, but also it's been around for over a hundred years. And it's been this like epically great company the whole time. And you're like, well, they must be doing something right. And so I ended up having a lot of humility and like learning a lot um, and having like a lot of respect for how the company works. And so I really enjoyed it and still have like a lot of loyalty to J&J. Um, but for me personally, like, yeah, startup world is definitely where I'm in my sweet spot and happiest. Yeah, I love that. And also uh, you bring up something that I, I, I wanted to ask you. So. Um, in my sort of, you know, let's call pre-vetting of the people that I know that know you, one of the things they describe is, you know, you're incredibly humble given the success you've had. How have you, how have you done that? Ah, <laughs> no. Um, I think my wife says that's her job is to never be that impressed and keep me grounded. She doesn't laugh at any of your jokes. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. She's like, yeah, yeah, real fancy. Go greenhouse. Uh-huh. It's not that um, get, over, get over yourself. <laughs> no, I, I think, um, I don't know. I also kind of always compare us to like all these other companies that I'm like, oh, that other company is so much better. And so I never feel that, that accomplished at it. I'm always like, oh, there's so much more to go. And I was, you know, you always take a critical eye. You look at your own products and you're like, oh, terrible. God, <laughs> what was I thinking? I'm a moron. So, um, yeah, I think that probably all helps. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, 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 it's a joy to talk to obviously somebody who's had success and also, you know, before you even done what you've done with Greenhouse, but then just to hear like, I mean, in, in the conversations we've had on the sidebar that you're just incredibly down to earth, which is a breath of fresh air. Cause you run into some people who've done it and they kind of get over their skis in the sense of not, not, not just celebrating success, which is a good thing, but it's kind of like, there's nothing that you could do. Uh, that's any, I don't know. So I, I just have a huge amount of respect for you when it comes to just having a very, very humble approach to things. Cool. Well, thank you. So let's talk greenhouse. So, um, you, you 
did the whole thing that I can't seem to understand where you were patient enough to have multiple months of iterations and thoughtful brainstorming, or as my default would be, let's just go do it and figure it out later. Was that intended? Was it more just like you're talking to a buddy from college, let's start a business together and figure out what's next? How, how did, number one, how did it start? And then what was that iteration process like? Yeah, I mean, it, so those first couple of months was partly like figuring out the business and all that, but a lot of it was also just Daniel and I finding our rhythm together. Like, how do we work together? So we've been friends for a long time, but we never worked together. And so the whole like, let's be patient and create a whole plan and be really rigorous before we jump in uh, was kind of my thing. And he was like, ah, screw it. Let's start going. Um, so that was the thing we had to like, work through at the beginning. Um, but the it makes sense because yeah. so that, that just means I'm, I'm him in this scenario in my, in my mentality. Let's just go for it. And you're, you're yeah. a little bit more patient, thoughtful. I like that. I like that. No, and, and I mean, we have, and, and through that period, I think one of the most important things that happened is we figured out how we're the same and how we're different. Um, we figured out where we're going to have conflict or like how we're going to come at problems differently and being and being able to be self-aware of that was like super critically important. And we're great at that now. And so I think really like the partnership is so fun. Like we still enjoy it. Like 10 years in, I'm like so much fun. Um, but we figured out a lot of that in those first couple months. How much of that was just, how much of that was like, did, I guess, did you go into it saying, we want to figure out how to make this partnership work because we see what we're going to try to go do together and having this aligned, or is it more, let's just start working. And then progressively you realize how important it was to figure out the partnership because number one, I, uh, part of my journey is I had a partner to begin with and I actually bought the partner out just because it just difference of life philosophy. So I had the very opposite approach of that is let's figure it out later. And I, you know, got beat up on the other side of that. And also I know a lot of partners that just kind of end pretty quickly on. So obviously you were very intentional. Was, how did you kind of yeah. go about fleshing that out? I guess. So, so Dan, I mean, so Dan had started businesses before and he had done a really successful company previously. Um, and, and one of his partners there, like he's still like super close friends with. And so I think he, both of us had the perspective of like, it's so critical to get that partnership right. And so the truth is like, we kind of committed like, okay, let's see if we want to work together and let's work through ideas together before we got to the idea of greenhouse. And so we spent many months like brainstorming a bunch of different ideas and kind of building business plans. And we kind of knew we weren't going to do those businesses, <laughs> um, but we still went through that exercise because it was just like, Let's make sure we can do this together and are excited about working together. Because the truth is we, we learned so much about each other. You know, we each other so much better after doing this than we had, even though we've been friends for like whatever, 15 or 20 years beforehand. Um, you just, it's so much more intense working together. So that was all very conscious. Like we went on a canoe trip together. Like let's go be in the wilderness for many days and see if we can like still cope with each other. Um, and eventually like we really kind of found our rhythm together and it was, you know, the best thing. Um, and then we hit up the idea for greenhouse and went through the whole process of like spending a bunch of months figuring it out before we actually like started officially. Do you, uh, before you came up with the idea for greenhouse, would you say that you guys were putting more effort on uh, the timing or the need of the market or more how good you guys thought your idea were or more how like your skill sets together to go after a particular idea? How did you kind of go about vetting what was the, idea that you would pursue had you have not pursued greenhouse or what ultimately um, made you choose to go after greenhouse? <laughs> uh, Talk about the most esoteric question of all time. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, I'm trying to think we, I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of like had ideas and wrote business plans and did research and talked to potential customers. Um, and there were like ideas that seemed reasonable, but in the end, like we kind of got, we had a moment where it was like, 
are we passionate about either of these things? Are we going to do like we had kind of had two ideas? And we're like, are we ready to spend the next ten plus years of our life doing these these businesses and believe in them and think it's going to work and be passionate about them? And we're like, no, <laughs> not a no. <laughs> it was I remember it was a Friday and it was like, oh, okay, now what? Yeah. And so we spent the weekend like being depressed that we're going to have to go get jobs and. Um, <laughs> It was a very sad weekend. And then we got together Monday and Dan was like, maybe we're overcomplicating this. Let's just go back to first principles. And he basically spit out the idea for Greenhouse in about 30 seconds. And it was like, wait, that's a good idea. And we were off. <laughs> so so uh, if you're willing to share, you certainly don't have to, but if you're willing to share that, that sort of initial 30 second minute long kind of first yeah. iteration, what did that look like compared to what it actually lives out to be today? So, I mean, this is something we always we always remark on is that at the very beginning, um, we, we were actually shockingly right. Like, we, it hasn't been a huge pivot since then. It's like the stuff that we wrote down in the first couple of weeks, like, largely happened. Um, so, the, so the the insight was like, everybody we talked to, every you know company we talked to, every CEO, all of our friends who are who are entrepreneurs, everyone will tell you that hiring is one of their top two or three problems. And we say, okay, so what are you doing about it? And then they would say some nonsense. And we're like, yeah, that's not going to work. And so we're like, there's this huge disconnect between how important hiring has become, what a bottleneck it is for so many companies, and how bad everybody is at it. It's so, so bad, it's like a cliche, right? Like, I mean, it's a joke amongst candidates how bad companies are at it. You go to those companies, you say, do you think you're good at hiring? And everyone laughs and goes, no, we're horrendous at it. And so we're like, well, what would you do if you wanted to become great at hiring? And Dan had been like, oh, his previous company, Lab49, there's like an IT consulting shop. They're building trading systems for big banks. And they realized as many people as we can hire, we can turn around and rent them out to the banks. And so he had like stopped programming and became a recruiter, an HR person. And he was like, so I'm going to bring this engineering mindset to it. How to get awesome at it. And so he built out all this expertise and he built a whole great company and hired a ton of people. And all the kind of germs of what he learned there it's what we kind of applied and said, well, here's the stuff that you would do if you wanted to become great. And that was kind of it. So it was, it was basically, that was the question. Was like, if you were a CEO and you decided you wanted your company to become great at hiring, what's the tool you, or what are the things you would need to start doing? And what tools would help, help you do that? And that was our starting question. What we then realized was there's this whole category called applicant tracking systems and ATSs, and they're approximately uh, infinity of them. They've been around for 30 or 40 years. And there was a moment can I, where that can I was, trademark yes. that there's approximately uh, infinity of them because that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're right. Like we Googled it. And we're like, oh my God, there's so many. And so we had a moment where we're like, oh, are we crazy to do this? This is such a saturated category. Everybody already has an ATS. But then we stopped and said, well, but everybody's also still terrible at hiring. And so whatever problems these ATSs are solving, it's not that one. And so our problem is still utterly unsolved. And so clearly there's some opportunity for us to do something. And so we went down this whole path of saying, you know, structured, like the, the very first thing we did, like within a couple of days is, you know, Dan laid out this whole idea of structured interviewing, which like he didn't invent. It's a very common concept out there. People have written books about it and yet virtually no one does it. We're like, well, how would you do that? And so we built the product in paper. We made like note cards, all these different colors. And we had a whole different thing of how you would, build a structured interview process, we started going around to hiring managers and saying, okay, you're hiring an engineer. Let's do this together. And we kind of helped them build a process 
And at the end, I mean, like, after like, literally 10 minutes, they'd be like, oh, this is so much better than what we're doing. Why aren't we doing this? This is great. Can you put this in software? And it was like, oh my gosh, like we we're hitting on something really quickly. And so we figured out pretty soon that like these ideas that seem quite obvious, and even if you talk to most recruiters, they kind of know that this is what you should do. They just can't get anybody to do it. And so we said, if we could help build a product that would make like the default way that you use the product is you'd be doing the correct behaviors, you'd be doing structured interviewing, which, you know, years later, as more and more companies started turning toward their focus towards DE&I and saying, we want to mitigate bias in the interview process. It's like, what's the first thing you do is you do structured interviewing. We're like, yeah, that's what we've been doing since day one. Very convenient. Um, and so a lot of those things that we figured out at the very beginning were kind of the, really the inner underpinnings of what, of what we built. And obviously it's evolved since then and we've learned a ton and we've built lots of new great stuff that we never imagined before. Um, but I do think that like that initial insight uh, was pretty right on. How did you, so this is more outside of the talent landscape, but more of you as an entrepreneur, how did you ask questions or approach ideas or, or share what you were trying to do and actually get what you felt like was reasonable feedback from people? And, and I, I tee that up with saying yeah. one thing that I've certainly run into in the years and now that I've, you know, sort of been attempting to be an entrepreneur for the last decade and have a lot of ideas presented to people, I've learned enough to know that you're not always going to get a direct answer from somebody. So when you say, what are your needs? Their response back is not always what you're looking for. Not to go and bias and say, this is what I need from you. But like, sometimes people just don't even know what they really want. And so how had you kind of, how did you go through not only the iteration stage with, 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 you know, you and your co-founder, but present it in front of potential customers without saying, pat me on the back and tell me this is a good idea. How did you actually get what you felt like was feedback that was was worthwhile? Um, I think, I mean, to me, it's standard product management skill. You spend a lot more time dwelling on the problems than the solutions. So like, you don't ask people like, what do you want in your ATS? Or what are your top three like feature requests or something like that? Um, because like their job is to be a recruiter, not to be a product developer. And so you say, what are your problems? And you say, like, what what matters? Like, what if what problem could you solve that your CEO would notice? Um, and so we spent a lot of time just kind of trying to dwell on those problem sets and trying to understand like what what are the commonalities between them. Like one thing you find is like, you know, if you're talking to a recruiter, you go, like, well, how many other recruiters at other companies have you talked to to kind of compare notes and figure out how good you are, and like what could you be doing differently? And most people will say something between like zero and five, right? And after three months, we had like a hundred. And so this is like a general thing of product development. You go talk to a hundred different people uh, about their job and you ask them a bunch of questions. You're asking the same, everybody the same questions and you start to hear the commonalities. Um, to me, it's always like relatively easy to synthesize. Like what are the things you're hearing over and over again? What do the really smart ones say? Or what are the people who are doing really badly say? And the patterns become quite clear. Um, one thing that we actually did that really worked out well was Dan was friends with somebody at uh, General Assembly, which is like a education company here in New York, where they just do like education around startup stuff. And so he said, hey, we want to teach a class called how to make hiring a strength of your company. And they're like, sure. And they put it in their newsletter the next day. And like 35 people signed up the next day. And we're like, oh, my gosh, I guess we have to think of a class. And so I love that. Let's throw out the idea and then figure out the class later. Love that. Yeah. Love that. No, I wrote a paragraph of what the class was. And then like 
just to see if anybody would sign up. And like 35 people signed up. And so they showed up and we gave a survey. Who are you? And why are you here? And what is it? Like what's, and what we found is like, it wasn't just recruiters. It was hiring managers. It was people from big companies, small companies. And Dan got up and they riffed for three hours. And like, God bless him. I could have never done that. And people were like, this is amazing. I learned so much. And like, we made sales to those people like over a year later when we actually had a product. Um, but we learned so much from that initial group of 30 people. We did it a couple more times. Uh, and you just, you know, you got deep into it and let get to hear people like, what was actually novel to them and what wasn't novel to them. And so by the time we actually decided, let's do this, let's actually go raise money and build a team and build software, we had a lot of conversations. We had a lot of conviction around that we understood things about the problem. We understood why the other ATSs weren't doing any of these things. And so we're like, oh, this is going to work. And we didn't have so much of a mock-up of a product, right? We had nothing to show anybody. What did, um, so we don't need to spend too much time on this, but I'd just be curious your perspective. When you, when you, when you first realized you had something, um, how did you choose the path of, of saying, let's go, let's go take on some funding and grow versus let's go do it ourselves and just roll with it and, and you know, keep it in house? How did you kind of weigh in those different paths? So, yeah, I mean, I think especially now there's a whole like fascination with venture capital and everybody assumes you should raise a bunch of money and go. And, and the truth is like, that's probably not the path for every business. Um, like the, not the path for most. For most business, right. It's like they're really looking for a very specific type of business. Yeah. We, and we looked and said, listen, we think that is what we're trying to create, actually. We think that this is a big market uh, or it could be a big market. If we do it well, it'll be a really big business. And we said, listen, to get to an MVP, to get to a basic thing that a real company will switch off of one of the market leaders and use Greenhouse, um, we're going to have to build a lot of software. Like there's like a year and a half of table stakes that you're going to have to build. And like the two of us are not going to like put our headphones on and do that ourselves. And so we're like, we're going to have to like build in a team. And so we kind of realized from the beginning, like we weren't going to be able to bootstrap the business. So it's going to be a venture funded business, um, which has a bunch of pros and cons, but you know, that's what we decided to do. Yep. Um, yep. And ultimately like it was, it worked out well. We were able to raise money. It was very painful. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> And then we hired, I mean, we really, you know, hired wonderful people at the very beginning, many of which are still with us. Um, that initial team was just spectacular. And and so we, you know, built the beta product and very quickly um, kind of felt like we were finding product market fit. Um, and it was, then it was kind of off to the races. So when, when you know, a uh, hundred years from now, people go back and look at the case study of a company that... Um, of, of guys who didn't necessarily have deep, deep, deep backgrounds in, in HR tech came into a market and took on a very, very, very saturated market and, 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 you know, become dominant in it. What would you say was sort of some of the keys that brought you to, to kind of where you guys are at now that, cause I mean, and, and, and I say this, I asked number one, cause I think it's fascinating. I think a lot of people would love, you know, kind of hear that, but also I say that in my own world, we're, we're a video interview provider and uh, to say that we're the only one is naive, you know, as it gets, but we're sort of do, finding our way in, in, in the same way. If there's a lot of companies that are way better funded than us, and there's a lot of companies that have been around for a lot longer, but we're finding product market fit and, and sort of taking on what would be considered a saturated market. And there's some people who, like if I pitch in front of a PE group or VC group, they do a quick Google and they're like, no, 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 there's too many competitors in the space. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. But you should probably hear the story because we're, Kind of, and so I'd be curious how you guys, you know, what what would you say you did right in all that, or learned maybe? Sure. Well. I mean, I think 
a couple things. I mean, I think that, you know, the earlier story where we, like, we picked a different initial question, right? Like our initial question was, if you wanted to be great at hiring, what's the software you would buy? Whereas we felt like a lot of other ATSs, uh, even of our generation, their initial question was, uh, you hate your ATS, we're going to make like a prettier one, which is like true. Most people did hate their ATS and a lot of people did create prettier ones. We felt like our initial question was better. Um, and then the other thing is, I think we, I mean, we practice what we preach, like we hired really well. <laughs> and so like, and like quality compounds, right? And so if you have great salespeople or great marketing people or great uh, customer success people, customer support people, like in every single role, if you hire somebody who's like marginally better than the competition, it just compounds. And so like, why did we do better? It's like, I think in all of those departments, like we hired awesome people and they did awesome stuff. And so as much as people want it to be about some brilliant strategic move, we're like, oh, we just saw things other people didn't see. It's like, eh, yeah, I mean, we did have some strategic ideas that were different. But I think mostly like we hired awesome people and they did a really good job across like all dimensions of the business. And like, that's ultimately the thing that we did. And the thing we're still spend most of our time trying to do is like hire great people and put them in position to do good work and like awesome stuff will happen. I, I love that the philosophy behind your company is to help companies hire great people and your key success to what has built your business to do that has been hiring great people. It's, you know, it's kind of a good tagline uh, and it's also, it works. Know, it kind of works. It's amazing how it works. And it's funny. You say, it's funny. You kind of bring up like the, the great strategic thought is like so many people are trying to say like, let's come up with the greatest idea, blah, blah, the, you know, the greatest st strategic outcome. Not that there aren't some of those, but that's assuming that your competition is like idiots. Like I like how everybody just assumes like the guys on the other side are dumb and they're not thinking about it. They probably are. They may, or at least have thought about in some regards or somebody's probably thinking about it. So to spend so much time trying to find the diamond in the rough, I think is, 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 is worth very little calories and sort of going out and executing and doing that really, really well with really good people is typically what works out better. That's right. Dan used to always say, um, the only thing harder than hiring an awesome team of people is succeeding with a mediocre team. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, oh, I love that quote. It's good. I like that a lot. So, John, outside of, you know, the, the the business itself, what is it that's, you know, sort of fueling your bucket now? Obviously, you guys have you guys have had a ton of success growing like crazy and, and there's a lot of things happening for you. What's what's sort of fueling your bucket? What's keeping you fired up? What, what, what's 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 got your mind wandering at night in a good way possible? I mean, I guess a couple things. I mean, the thing people have always ask me, like, what are you most proud of at Greenhouse? What do you enjoy the most? What do you, you know? And I think people expect something like around the size of the business or market leadership or something like that. And I've always said, and it's still true, is like, I get such a kick out of all these people we hire who like grow their career. Like you see all these people who like started as, you know, as an SDR and then grew to becoming uh, an AE. And then they said, oh, I don't like this. I'm going to go be a sales engineer. And then they kind of like worked their way around the company and found themselves and became super awesome. And they're like, oh, I'm so proud of, or I've built my career at Greenhouse. Like there's so many people at the company like that. Um, and it's my total favorite thing. It's just watching people do that. So like, I still get a kick out of that and love that. Um, the other thing is, you know, as I said earlier, like I love product stuff. And I think that we're now at a place where we have enough scale in terms of customers and candidates and data that like, 
there are new things we can do that we always thought were interesting ideas that like we couldn't get, we couldn't do before because we didn't have the scale. But now it's like we're sitting on all this data that we can reflect back to our customers and help them make better decisions along so many different lines. And I'm like, oh, the product should really come alive and be much less of a filing cabinet that helps you like organize things and much more of a kind of smart assistant who can um, really reflect and, and give you some insight as to what to do differently. So that's going to take a lot of different forms. I won't say all of it, but like, I think there's a lot of cool product stuff that I'm super excited about for the next few years. I love that. Um, if you got to choose the legacy that you got to leave on people, both whether it's, you know, family, friends, coworkers, you know, partners, investors, any of it, if you got to choose the legacy, what would that legacy be? Yeah, that's a deep question, man. We should be drinking scotch with a cigar. No, yeah, come on now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> John just got hot and sweaty. <laughs> That's an intimidating question. Because, um, like, you know, you could take that question really seriously. I feel like I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I should blow the question off in some way. <laughs> Mine's to tell self-deprecating short jokes that at least make people feel a little taller in life. Go, so, you know, if it makes you feel any better, I can, okay. I can boil it way down simply. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, I hope I'm creating opportunities for folks right whether that's like people in the company or what our product does is you hope that folks are feeling like oh i got this great opportunity and john helped create that that would be pretty cool i like that and my last my favorite question on the planet is what gets you out of bed in the morning daughter she's just she's six years old she's relentless <laughs> um that's a very literal answer <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing i've had people say i've had people say my dog i've had people say i'm sick right now so i can't sleep so i just get out of bed anyways yeah. i mean I've, I've heard it all a daughter's right. a pretty good reason for it <laughs> i mean she, yeah there's no sleeping in um but i think you're asking maybe more metaphorically and so i'd say uh i don't know like we like this mission of greenhouse we've kind of you know, signed up for and we're in it and it's really, it's like fun. Like Dan, I was talking about, it's like such a privilege to get to run this company right now. And it's like stressful and it's hard and all of that stuff. And like, mostly, you know, I hair's turning gray and falling out, but like, uh, it's also like a really neat job. And so I don't know, I get up every day and do it. It's not, I don't have to talk myself into it. <laughs> That means you're working on something that, that's meaningful, if, if that's if that's kind of the philosophy behind it. So I love it. I love it. John, for people that want to follow along uh, with what you got going on in the greenhouse, with any of it, what's the best way for them to either get in contact with you or follow some of the work that you're doing? What's the best way for people to learn more? Obviously, our website, greenhouse.io. I think you can probably get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I don't do social media. Um, so like I can't give you like a Twitter feed or anything like that. It's all right. <laughs> I only <laughs> follow. I'm only on, I'm only on Twitter because I follow Elon Musk whenever he tweets about Doge. That's about the extent. There you, of the there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So probably our website is best. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Uh, John, anything else you want to leave the audience with? No. Thanks for listening. Love it. Well, John, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
you just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. (music) 